0: I'm Kathleen Durkin of Columbia's Zuckerman Institute,
1: and I'm Devin Powell of the Zuckerman Institute.
0: Welcome to Lab in the Time of Coronavirus. This podcast follows the lives of brain scientists who are pivoting to combat COVID-19 in this time of crisis.
1: Today's episode starts with a doctor who spends his days helping COVID patients to breathe. He's trying to stay safe in the middle of this pandemic, and he reached out to some engineers and some scientists at our institute for help. Together, they're creating a new way to protect healthcare workers on the front lines.
0: Our story begins with Dr. Isaac Wu.
1: And his experiences inside the hospital.
2: My name is Isaac Wu. I'm an anesthesiologist at Columbia University. Patients who show symptoms of COVID-19, like shortness of breath, fever, um, those sorts of symptoms may come in through the emergency room. Over time, due to basically more difficulty breathing, the physicians and nurses down there may feel like the patient requires intubation.
0: COVID-19 is a respiratory disease. It attacks the lungs and makes it hard to breathe.
1: Physicians who are attending to COVID patients often have to help them breathe, and they do that by inserting a tube into their throat.
2: This is
1: intubation.
0: It squeezes air into the lungs, kind of like a bellows in a fireplace.
2: When we're intubating or extubating patients, we use the standard recommended PPE, and that's an N95 mask. Uh, We wear a face shield, we wear a gown, and we double glove. Since COVID-19 has come about, there's always, I think, a need for greater protection. A lot of what we know now shows that it can be spread very easily through either droplets and also through aerosols.
0: Dr. Wu thought some kind of shield positioned between the doctor and the patient could minimize exposure to these droplets and aerosols.
2: Basically, the inspiration behind this airway shield is from a, uh, an anesthesiologist in Taiwan. His name's Dr. Lai. I came across this design online and felt like that it could offer some added protection for uh, healthcare providers who are performing aerosol generating procedures. I reached out to the engineers and scientists at the Zuckerman Institute, so so specifically Darcy and Tanya.
1: Let's meet one of the scientists who answered the call.
3: Hi, I'm Darcy Paterka. In my day job, I'm a senior scientist, the director of cellular imaging, and the director of team science at the Zuckerman Institute.
0: Darcy works with researchers at the Zuckerman Institute to create images of brain cells and new tools and technologies for looking inside the brain.
1: His work typically focuses on answering deep questions about the brain, not on making medical devices.
0: And yet a lot of his skills
3: transfer. We're used to working in an interdisciplinary ways. And in this case, that's helped us put together kind of a crack team that can work specifically on this problem.
1: So the first step for this team was to figure out what exactly is the problem that Dr. Wu and his colleagues are facing.
3: When the people who are suffering from COVID-19, they have respiratory difficulties, anesthesiologist or the healthcare practitioner would essentially stick a tube in the throat of the patient. It is basically like if you had an air hose and you put it in a thing of water, it fizzes and blows and it blows saliva and mucus and everything else around. So we're, we're making this splash guard intubation shield, like a bulletproof screen, so none of the droplets uh, directly hit the practitioner. The original design started out as a simple box with two round holes and one side missing that can go over the patient. And for visibility, we tilted one face like a windshield. So for the doctors, we went through and constructed this box We made a few prototypes, delivered them, tested, refined, made new ones, tested again, refined, tested again, till finally we think we're at the stage that it allows for a convenient use. And now the next stage is to add and qualify the negative pressure environment.
0: A negative pressure environment just means implementing a slight vacuum on the box to ensure that virus particles don't come flowing out of the armholes that the doctors are reaching into.
1: And to create this airflow system, the team has turned to an electronics whiz who has set up an unusual laboratory in his own home.
0: He spoke to us from his home lab in his New York City apartment.
1: I'm Rick Cormigo and uh, I work at the Superman Institute as an um, electrical engineer doing research and development for electronics. I'm very lucky of having uh, my own home lab so I can kind of uh, stay a little bit uh, more isolated. And and I can test some of the stuff, even simulate the same kind of box that they're using. So Rick has to test the box with something like a body inside of it to understand how the air would flow around an actual patient. So what do you do when you don't have a patient or volunteer or mannequin available in your home laboratory in your New York City apartment?
0: Creative thinking is the hallmark of a smart engineer.
1: It turns out you borrow dolls from your daughter. I have to go and steal one of the big dolls to my daughter, and she gets really mad at me. (laughs) I tell her, she has a Santa Claus. I say, what are you doing to Santa?
3: (laughs) But it works. (laughs) So that's the point.
1: Okay, so we have to stop for a second here, Kathleen, and explain to people what Rick is showing us, because this scene is incredible.
0: Poor Santa Claus is having breathing difficulties. And we know this because he's lying on his back and his face is covered by an intubation box. And you can see his little striped legs sticking out of the box.
1: And then there's the smoke. To simulate the flow of gas inside of a box, the ideal way of doing it is putting a smoke. I'm so lucky that uh, my daughter had one of those smoke machines for Halloween, and it works like a charm for this project. And Rick isn't the only team member working from home.
4: It's a funny thing. All of us have kind of turned our living rooms and bedrooms into makeshift laboratories. My name is Armin Nikolapov. Uh, I was a graduate student at the Zuckerman Institute in Nate Sautel's lab up until about a year and a half ago.
0: Armin is working with Rick, and adding negative pressure to the box and cleaning any infected air inside it.
4: My parents' house, which is where I'm at, has become a kind of storage space for uh, just like every single filter manufacturer around the United States to send samples of their materials and tubing and this kind of filter and that kind of filter and pre-filters and barbed connections and God knows what else. The air that the patient is breathing out is loaded with lots of virus. What you don't want happening is for that Virus to flow out of the box, which has lots of holes. What we're trying to do is to suck that air out and filter it, making sure that all the viruses gotten rid of, and exhaust just pure clean air into the um, into the environment that can then be you know breathed in by by the patients. One of the really nice things about our project is that we've been able to have direct contact with the clinicians at Columbia. And I think the nature of the crisis has made people at least step out of their immediate comfort zone and area of expertise. Someone who's a scientist becomes an engineer. Someone who's an engineer starts thinking about clinical things. I spend hours on the phone effectively doing sourcing, which I never thought about at all. And that's true kind of for everybody. Everyone's jumped in and done what they can. There's often the feeling of knowing I'm probably not the best person in the world to be doing this, but I am the only person doing it. Um, And that often uh, seems to be the more critical point.
5: Like a month ago, I I thought I was busy. I was wrong. Sundays, Saturdays, uh, no evenings. It doesn't matter anymore. My name is Tanya Tabashnik, and I'm Director of Advanced Instrumentation and uh, Shared Resources at Zuckerman Institute. We we really feel the sense of urgency. It's a new level of uh, FAST for us.
1: So how fast is FAST for Tanya, Darcy, and their team? Well, they created the first version of their device without the negative pressure in 48 hours.
5: The first prototype, it was like two days. uh, We want to get it to the hospitals as fast as possible.
0: It's important to get the intubation box out as fast as possible but it's also important that it's correct and that means taking into account all the variables that make it work
1: that also means taking into account all the different real world circumstances that affect its use intubations take place in the er they take place in the icu in surgery and the intubation box has to be usable in all of those circumstances
5: they have like five different sizes of bed in the in the hospital and it needs to stay on all of that. So we are learning as we go every day, we learn more and more how the hospital operates. We gave it to, to our clinicians and they also were giving us constant feedback. Saying, I need a little bit more space. I need to move my arms like this. Make me openings on the left, make me openings on the right.
0: The hope is that this intubation box, once it's finalized, will be able to be produced and distributed all over the city and all over the country.
5: Today, as we speak, today we delivered six boxes to our uh, anesthesiology department. We have a few good vendors who are on a standby, who are waiting. They will be happy to start manufacturing and bringing it into New York or any small local hospitals.
1: And for Tanya and her team, they think this could change the way intubation is done in the long term.
5: I think it is an amazing piece of equipment which I hope people will continue using even after COVID because there are plenty of other horrible diseases for for them to be protected from.
1: With the team working around the clock to get the shield into the hands of people who can use it, we went back to Dr. Wu on the front lines to see what the road ahead looks like.
2: You know, I think a lot remains to be seen about what's gonna happen with COVID-19. I think- um, there's certainly hope that in, at least in New York, we've already reached the peak and we're sort of plateauing now. Um, but, you know, but I think a lot remains to be seen, uh, what's gonna happen in a few months, how long this is gonna be around. Um, and I think there may be a role for um, additional protective equipment, like the airway shield, not only uh, immediately, but also in the future, uh, potentially until a, a definitive treatment like a vaccine is, is developed.
0: Thanks for listening to Lab in the Time of Coronavirus. Take a look at the show notes for links to all the things we discussed. You can find all of our episodes at zuckermaninstitute.columbia.edu or on iTunes. Take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes. That makes it easier for other people to find us.
1: And special thanks to Rui Costa, Jennifer Ferris, the researchers who sat down with us for this episode, and the entire Zuckerman team. The music was provided by Miguel Zanon, jazz artist in residence at the Zuckerman Institute. If you have any thoughts or any questions, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ZuckermanBrain. Our DMs are open. But before we go, Kathleen, I think you had one last question for our researchers today.
0: What is the first thing you plan to do post-pandemic?
4: Have a good drink. Yeah. Uh, I want to go dancing. Terribly. Yeah, I want to see loads of sweating people writhing together.
3: Sending my kids back to school.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Probably going to try and visit my parents. And so our, uh, our kids can see their grandparents again once it's safe to do that.
5: I will bring everyone I can on the roof and have a toast. Thinking of that, Keeps me going forward, and when I'm saying it, it's I have. Um, it's hard for me to say. I'm I'm almost
3: crying.